Chapter Five of In the Path of the Alphabet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annie Rue. In the Path of the Alphabet by Francis Germain. Chapter Five. In the narrative given of the decipherment of cuneiform writing, reference was made to the three distinct combinations of the arrow-headed or wedge-shaped characters in the trilingual inscriptions at first deciphered. It was found that these three distinct combinations of cuneiform signs represented three languages of three distinct races of men, the Persian, an Aryan people speaking an inflectional language, the Assyro-Babylonians, Semitic people, who spoke a language related to the Hebrew, and the third, a Turanian people, who spoke an agglutinative language allied to that of the modern Turks or Finns. It was some time after the decipherment of the Persian version of cuneiform texts before these facts became fully understood. The Semitic texts presented unusual difficulties, while the language of the other versions remained for a time unknown. The discoveries of Mr. Layard shortly after, on the site of ancient Nineveh, were to throw more light on the subject. With the unearthing of the royal palace of Azerbanipal at Keyunji, the remains of the great library founded by this monarch were discovered beneath the ruins. These remains consisted of more than 20,000 bricks, tablets, and cylinders, some of which were in fragments, but a greater part entire, and the inscriptions thereon as distinct as when first impressed in the soft clay. This was a fine, tenacious clay of the region, which had been molded into bricks and cylinders of various sizes, upon which, when moist, the cuneiform letters had been impressed by a wooden or metal stylus. They had then, for the greater part, been hardened by a slow fire, and were thus made practically indestructible. These cuneiform books were soon distributed in the great libraries and museums of Europe, and thus became accessible to scholars. Among these literary documents were found a large number which consisted of translations, either interlinear or in parallel passages, from a non-Semitic language into Assyro-Babylonian. It appeared in two dialects, the speech of the early people of northern Babylonia, the people of Akkad, and the speech of the primitive inhabitants of southern Babylonia, the people of Sumir or Shinar. The close alliance of the peoples of Akkad and Sumir in race and language has led to the general application of the name Akkadians to both families. A closer distinction in general terms, now adopted by scholars, is Sumerian. Further discoveries rapidly following the unearthing of the Ninevite tablets confirmed the evidences that these people were the inventors of cuneiform, and that the Sumerian dialect represented the most ancient of the cuneiform scripts. In the oldest inscriptions which have yet been found, the characters are hardly as yet cuneiform. The lines are straight and simple, resembling somewhat the strokes and dashes appearing in words spelled by the electric telegraph code. The arrangement of these is pictorial, forming picture hieroglyphs, and these were found to be ideographic and not phonetic. By degrees, the wedge-shaped and arrow-headed characters appear. The pictorial forms are not so distinct, and these characters express sound as well as ideas. 
the story revealed by these older inscriptions was a genuine surprise to scholars it not only presented the remoter occupation of mesopotamia by a hitherto unknown people but also that while to mesopotamia is to be accorded the distinction as the motherland of the arts and the sciences it was not to its semitic inhabitants the assyrians and the babylonians of history that this is due here long before the appearance of a semitic people in the land scientific applications to the industrial arts were abundant an extensive system of irrigation and canals were in use in the arid regions and drainage for the lowlands near the sea the arts of metallurgy were practiced mathematics and geometry were applied to structures and astronomy to measurements of time and planetary movements they were builders of cities as we have seen they had invented a system of writing in certain cities they had schools for scribes and they had libraries where the literature thus developed was collected when we learn that this testimony takes us back to a date older than pyramids and to the earlier egyptian dynasties we may well exclaim at the astonishing facts archaeology is presenting until recently there were no evidences of a civilization in babylonia which approached the antiquity of egyptian monuments in eighteen eighty three dr taylor placed the earliest dates from the cuneiform between two thousand seven hundred and three thousand b c recent discoveries however refer back to a period according to professor hilfrecht at least three millenniums earlier and point to a civilization distinct and original with the turanian races of asia preceding that of other races and people in these regions mesopotamia the land between the rivers is a tract of country extending about seven hundred miles from its northernmost boundaries near the mountains of armenia to the southernmost limit the persian gulf a range of hills crosses this region near the centre running east and west from the euphrates to the tigris north of these hills the country is the ancient assyria with its capital nineveh situated on the tigris south of these hills to the persian gulf is the ancient babylonia or chaldea where on the euphrates its later capital babylon was situated in the more ancient records assyria appears as akkad or agade the southern portion or babylonia as sumir or the land of shinar and later as chaldea for the greater portion this region is a dead level its monotony unbroken but for the rich verdure of the lands bordering upon these great rivers and the long lines of slightly elevated embankments marking the course of ancient or more recent canals and of the solitary mounds rising here and there from the plain these are the sites of ancient temples and cities and are sometimes very extensive the mounds of warka the ancient eric are nearly six miles in circumference and in some places rise to the height of one hundred feet the great mound of koyunjik covers an area of over one hundred acres in extent and is ninety-five feet high at its most elevated point that of nippur with the ruins of the great temple of bel rose over one hundred feet above the plains others are smaller and sometimes were intended to support but one palace or temple these mounds are artificial their foundations consisting of earth mixed with burned bricks in alternate layers the whole encased by a wall of bricks cemented with bitumen or as in assyria where stone could be obtained by a facing of stone masonry upon these artificial hills or mounds the inhabitants of mesopotamia from the most remote 
to later times built their cities their palaces their temples and other important structures the heavy rains of the winter season coursing down these declivities for so many centuries have in places worn deep ravines in the mounds through which the torrents have carried the crumbling debris far out upon the plain in this way many valuable relics have come to light bits of pottery inscribed bricks seals and cylinders the form and style of the inscriptions upon some of these indicating great antiquity these indications of greater antiquity include inscriptions on bricks for building purposes as well as those used for records and literature they include also the form and character of the inscriptions whether archaic or later cuneiform and again the use of bitumen or cement in masonry in primitive times the first bricks which succeeded the mud wall were sun-dried and were laid up with reeds and plastered with soft mud or bitumen this bitumen was applied hot and adhered so firmly to the brick that it is almost impossible to break them apart to obtain the cement and is one cause why the masonry consisting of sun-dried bricks has in many cases withstood the ages later the sun-dried bricks came to be used only for interior walls while for the outer walls bricks were made from selected clay and were carefully prepared and burned forming bricks of superior quality and strength so well have these withstood the ravages of time that some of the mounds notably those of later babylonian period are veritable quarries of building brick it is stated that the bricks of which the temples and palaces of babylon were built have for the past two thousand years supplied cities of the surrounding region with the material used in the construction of public and private edifices and that certain families of the babili tribe who claim to be direct descendants of the babylonians are exclusively employed in quarrying them as has been stated bitumen was used for laying the masonry in remoter times long before babylon was built of this substance an abundant supply was to be obtained at various places in southern mesopotamia near the arabian desert notably the neighborhood of ur now mughar the bitumened so called from the bituminous springs of the vicinity in time the use of this for masonry gave place to a fine white mortar made from a peculiar calcareous clay found near the arabian frontier to the west of the euphrates in southern mesopotamia for which lightness and strength has never been surpassed these evidences including also the inscriptions originally stamped upon the bricks with the name of the king or ruler under whose orders they had been prepared furnished indications of their time and place in history it thus came about that explorers following the work of bota layard george smith and others found their way to sites more ancient by many centuries than the beginnings of nineveh or babylon and have obtained from these records great historical importance the more ancient of these sites are in the southern portion of the country in that region anciently known as sumir or shinar and later as chaldea this was on the lower courses of the great rivers the tigris and euphrates toward the persian gulf this region abounds with the ruins of ancient cities as yet unexplored the most important cities of this region were eridu the most ancient and sacred now marked by the mud heaps of abu sharain the city of ur now Mughair, once a maritime and commercial city of these earlier times and of special interest as that ur of the chaldees the early home of abraham nippur or nefer the seat of older bel 
Tellal, the ancient Sirgula and Larsa. The sites of Ur and Erdu, once near the sea, are now far inland. Erdu, formerly directly upon the shores of the Persian Gulf, is now 150 miles distant, while Ur, once situated at the mouth of the Euphrates, is now about 150 miles distant from that sea, and about six miles to the west of the present course of the Euphrates on the western banks of the older bed of the river, nearly opposite the point, though six miles away, where the Shal el Hik enters the Euphrates from the east as it approaches from its source in the Tigris. It is estimated that the alluvium brought down by these great rivers has encroached upon the Persian Gulf by the formation of land about 60 feet annually, creating a delta at the head of the Gulf, 90 miles in 3,000 years. These deposits have been more rapid in later times than anciently. The great cause of the difference between ancient and modern Chaldea is the neglect of the water courses. In ancient times, a well-arranged system of embankments and irrigating canals held these great rivers in their courses by distributing the superabundant waters of the great flood times to all parts of the country, thus enriching the soil with abundant water supply for all seasons. In the present neglected condition of this region, the floods as they come down from the mountain sources of the Euphrates are liable to wash away the banks, sometimes changing the course of the river and overflowing large tracts at slightly lower levels, which have become unwholesome marshes, while other tracts which are never inundated in the fierce heats become parched and desolate sand wastes. It is said that such spread is the waste of the Euphrates in its lower course, that except in flood time, but a small proportion of this great volume of water reaches the sea. These conditions do not so seriously affect the Tigris, which for the greater part of its course flows over a rocky bed between high embankments, and which, though a narrower, is deeper and swifter stream than the Euphrates. Within historic times, the Tigris and the Euphrates entered the sea by separate channels, nearly thirty miles apart. At the present time, and for many centuries, these two rivers have been united, forming the great river, the Shat el-Arab, through which, in a course of about 120 miles, the united waters reached the sea. End of chapter 5